Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and our guests today are Jarell Godsey, President of Heartbeat International, and Krista Brown, our Senior Director of Medical Impact here at Heartbeat. If you've been following pro-life news closely lately, you might have heard about the new FDA regulations or lack of regulations in regards to chemical abortion. So Jarell and Krista are here to explain what that's all about and how pregnancy help organizations can prepare for what's next. As we talk about chemical abortion, I can't help but bring up, first and foremost, the Abortion Pill Rescue Network. Our team is ready to answer those mission-critical calls from women who regret their abortion decision by offering the Abortion Pill Reversal Protocol, which gives women that chance to continue with their pregnancies. Studies show that over 4,000 lives have been saved so far. To find out more about joining or supporting the Abortion Pill Rescue Network, visit aprnworldwide.com. Welcome, Jarell and Krista. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Christine. It's uh, always a pleasure to be uh, with you. And I have a, a special guest, Krista Brown, uh, who is part of our, not just part of, she actually leads our Abortion Pill Rescue Network team and our medical impact department. And so she, her hand is always in this uh, adventure that is chemical abortion. And, you know, what we, we've been talking and, and realizing that uh, we know that the Guttmacher Institute says that the chemical abortion accounted for 54% of all abortions and in, in that's in the year 2020. And if we just do a simple, like a uh, uh, simple analysis, that means that even now, as we're at the beginning of 2023, that chemical abortion could be as high as 67% this year. It's so it's growing. And that, that is all without uh, uh, really the impact of Dobbs. Um, real, the reality now of the FDA uh, making uh uh, chemical abortion that much more accessible. And then the most recent announcement, which is what we're going to be talking about, is the fact that the FDA, along with the manufacturer of the abortion pill, uh, is really making it available over, not over the counter, but it's available to be dispensed from pharmacies. Now that's a, that's a new thing. And we're going to uh, talk about why, and, and really pregnancy centers a, a, across the country need to be really aware of this. So let's talk about that, Krista, uh, just give us an update really on, on the whole idea of chemical DIY, do it yourself, um, you know, abortions at home and, and how the Dobbs decision has affected uh, pregnancy choices in the U S in uh, that we're facing in 2023. Sure. Thanks, Darrell. The I think we all, you know, we 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 all celebrated with everyone who values life when the Dobbs decision came down. So it was a it was an amazing moment in history. But we've had seven months since that time, seven or months or so, and um, we've seen in that time some changes. And we've seen the abortion industry and media and others really perpetuate a lot of fear and anxiety and sort of try to create this environment for women that um, abortion is in sor- short supply um, and that help is not readily available and that um, there are services being taken away. And we know that that isn't necessarily true. We've seen um, abortion at Abortion Pill Rescue Network. We've heard from women who have obtained abortion through telemedicine across state lines, on websites and markets, pharmacies. So women Wait, are, are saying- still... Are you saying that abortion? Yeah. Are you saying that the report that there are that women can't access abortion and even in the the life states, you know, these states that have banned uh, supposedly a banned banned abortion. I mean, I know that they've actually have either the trigger laws have gone to effect or they've made legislative efforts to uh, constrain and restrict abortion. But you're saying that those are still that uh, women are still accessing abortion uh, in those states. Yes. And sometimes we hear about restrictions and we hear about laws. And for us, it's a sense of like, 
what we're hearing and what the reality is, and they don't yep. always match up. Um, there are some cases where women need to cross state lines, but definitely abortion providers have rose to the occasion to make sure that they are just across the state line. Um, women can obtain abortions still if, if that's what they want. But the other side of that is help is still readily available. And to perpetuate the myth just to create anxiety and make women act quickly on their decisions is um, just a, a terrible thing that they are doing. Help is available in communities throughout the United States and throughout the world through pregnancy help centers um, at the grassroots level, helping women with options and all the support that they need. So that that's uh, that's true. So you're you're saying, and I, of course I I know this to be true as well, but it's often a surprise. Is like what we're hearing in the news uh, may not be real, and and it's that PR campaign that the abortion industry is really trying to both um, kind of scare people into the fact into this uh, myth that they've that they've lost the ability to access abortion. It's available. It's it's still um, in many ways it's readily available. Not quite as available as what it was, but it's still something that women can access. But the good news is pregnancy help uh, is still available. Pregnancy centers are happening. How how have you seen pregnancy centers respond uh, in these past seven months? I think pregnancy centers have really rose to the occasion. And Jarell, you know that I'm a big fan of pregnancy help. I worked in centers for a very long time. We all are, yeah, of Uh course. But um, but my heart is really with them. And I know this has been a challenging time, but we've seen them really rise to a new level. Um, they found ways, new ways to reach families in need of support and alleviate those same fears. So while the abortion industry would play on those fears and try to manipulate women into decisions they may not be ready to make or comfortable with, pregnancy help really helps alleviate those fears. Tell me what your issues are. Tell me what the problem is, and I will help you with those. And they're offering long-term help, not just short-term help, not just a quick solution to the problem, long-term solutions for families throughout the United States and the world. Um, And they want to make sure that no woman feels that abortion is her only decision. And the idea that that would be happening in their communities breaks their hearts. They want to be there to help, and they are finding ways to do that. So, They want to make sure that women aren't manipulated or scared, empowering women to plan their own futures. And that is just amazing. This is happening every day. And so the the false reality that big abortion and that media and others have created is not true in the pregnancy help world. And I'm, I'm just always so proud to be a small part of this amazing work. As am I, and it's one of the joys that we have and the privilege of uh, serving in this in this movement, which of course is not just U.S. based but worldwide. Uh, this idea of pregnancy help, because there there ought to always be an alternative to uh, to abortion. This uh, this something that we champion the culture of life. Um, and so let's talk though about the before we kind of get into the FDA. Let's talk a little bit about the abortion pill, which actually involves the FDA. Right back in the day, I know we're going to dial back about twenty five years or so. I, I know we you know I know some of the history, but uh, catch us up, Krista, on really kind of the history of the abortion pill uh, that that really kind of sets the stage for the FDA's involvement. Yeah, so this has been in the works for a really long time. And actually, Danko, that manufactures Mifepristone, was first established in 1995, so over, you know, about almost 30 years ago or whatever, that they have been planning this for a long time to set the stage for if um, the reversal of Roe happened. Um, they wanted to make sure that while we might not have as many brick and mortar abortion facilities, abortion could still get to the women. Could They could still manufacture this. They could still provide abortions. So one 
thing to keep in mind through this entire conversation is the FDA, their primary existence, the primary reason that they exist is to protect public health by ensuring the safety of these drugs, both to humans and to animals. And so as we as we think no, of that, this- That pro- sounds like something that you they basically got right from them, right? That's yes, their, it's on that's their, their stated mission. Yeah, it's yeah. on their website. I didn't make okay. it up, Gerald. Yeah. Okay, good. It's what just they che- have just claimed- checking. Um, I don't know if they've always succeeded in that, but I think it's important to keep in mind that really safety should be at the heart of what they're doing. And I think in the beginning, as you look at the documents about mifepristone and you see the process of moving towards approval in the U.S., you saw them acting with extreme caution. Um, They didn't jump into this lightly, but there was extreme pressure, um, political pressure, actually, from the Clinton administration for that approval. The approval finally came in 2000. Other countries had approved it first, but in the U.S. it was approved in 2000. Wait, and- let's, let's set that stage because you mentioned the Clinton administration. And if you recall, so this is the, the last year of eight years of, of uh, Bill Clinton as president. So this is one of the things that literally was done in the very last part of his entire uh, presidency was to press this uh, this matter with the FDA, push this uh, push them to uh, finally uh, legalize the abortion pill. And, and to their credit, they, you know, even though they were pressured to do it, they still did it with that mission in mind that you that you were talking about. Yes. Yes, that's true. But the idea that politics would mix in with safety is concerning because their decision maybe wasn't made in an evaluation of the evidence at hand. It maybe was more about the politics involved and the profit possibly involved. Um, and when they first approved it, they only approved it through seven weeks gestation. So they you could see that caution. You could see that like, okay, we're going to approve this, but only in this limited capacity. And they also added a risk evaluation mitigation strategy called REMS. And they don't do that very often. They, they only do that for the most dangerous drugs. And while they've approved more than 20,000 drugs, the FDA has, they've only put 70 drugs in that most dangerous category. And myth Pristone is where they place that drug. So they obviously knew from the beginning, we need to do this in a very limited capacity. We need to do it with a safety net. They were very guarded in how they decided to move forward with this. And then in 2016, they made some slight changes. It feels slight, but the idea of moving the gestational age from seven weeks to 10 weeks might not seem like a lot, but that really expanded the availability in the United States. So again, um, a safety net sort of falls through where they're so making a little bit of concession. Let's look at the political timing of that as well. Uh, this is to your point about uh, how politics is really af- affecting an agency that's called to uh, stand for uh, health for humans and, and animals, right? So you have you have the FDA pressured in the latter part, the last year of eight years of, of Bill Clinton as president, and it can Curiously, you have this uh, similar scenario after eight years of uh, of Barack Obama being in, in in the office, and the FDA gets that approval to extend that in the also the last year of uh, of that those eight years. Um, which again, the political timing of that is um, is a little too obvious to suggest it's just agency activity moving at a at a certain pace. It seems very um, politically motivated more than it is uh, health motivated. Yes, I agree. I agree. And that is that is a shame because the 
the United States depends, our, the consumers actually depend on the FDA to make sure that these drugs are safe. And when we hear a statement, when there is sort of the assumption that there has been some research, there have been some, some data has been reviewed, some outcomes have been reviewed to make sure that the decision was made um, in our best interest. Um, the next the next step was in 2021, um, where they loosened the REMS even a little bit more. And that's when they sort of blamed COVID, I think, during that time. And they removed the in-person prescribing requirement. And that is a big deal because definitely um, the idea that women used to have, at least be face-to-face with a provider and have some sort of assessment, um, that, that went away at that point. So that was two years ago. And then all of these steps, though, as you can see, uh, no matter what influencers they had, they definitely weakened those longstanding protocols, um, but with very limited data collection. And definitely there was evidence of injuries to thousands of women as they're loosening these safety nets. So, Krista, I know that there were these concerns that that really was why the FDA uh, made the REMS definition for mifepristone, the abortion drug, RU46. What, like, what were some of those things that drove them to that conclusion early on? It's very important that the woman be evaluated prior to having a chemical abortion. So the gestation needs to be verified. We we know that the dating of pregnancies from an LMP are not accurate. So there needs to be an ultrasound, confirm that those gestational dates. Keep in mind that even at today in 2023, the FDA has only approved mifepristone through 10 weeks of pregnancy. So we, we technically, we should be making sure that the woman is 10 weeks or under, and we should make sure that that baby is actually in the uterus. If she has an ectopic pregnancy, which is a a baby growing outside of the uterus, these drugs do nothing to end that pregnancy, which could really um, could hurt her. And some of the deaths reported have been ectopic pregnancies where the woman thought she was ending her pregnancy, has these symptoms, come to find out her symptoms are ectopic symptoms and not an abortion symptom. Well, isn't that what the abortion issue was crying about? You know, like suddenly we all became aware of ectopic pregnancies. And of course there was this uh, effort to kind of equate them to abortion and uh, that, you know, uh, again, that's those scare tactics that you were talking about. Uh, But now in, in what we're seeing in the, in the relaxation or the permanent relaxation of the REMS ruling, we really see the abortion industry pushing for something that won't help someone with an, with an ectopic pregnancy is what you're saying. And that's getting kind of made even worse uh, with the changes from this past week. So catch us up. What, what has actually changed? Well, they definitely are paving the way for even greater access to these drugs. So each step, as you as we follow this pattern since the year 2000, you can see that they have continued to work with big abortion to um, give greater access to these drugs. So instead of protecting the American consumers, they now affirm abortion by telemedicine with pill by mail distribution. So, so the, two, they, they being the FDA, the right? FDA, so the, yes. So we're, yes, more access, but less actual health uh, care watching over the the health of those that are that are potentially accessing these drugs. Yes. So for two years, um, pharmacies could become certified if they chose to do so. And there were a few that became certified to dispense these drugs. But in in last week's announcement, they really went an extra step where they could not only could pharmacies be the abortion provider, they could become the abortion facility and dispense these drugs. They could also offer them through telehealth. So the 
the pharmacies like Walgreens and CVS have already agreed that they would like to be certified and do this. They will, um, they agree to keep the abortion providers in their community, those that are prescribing this secret. They agree to track the order. So they're going to deliver these to the woman and they agree to ship these very quickly to women. And that, that part caught my attention. It might have been like just a small little blurb in their announcement, the quickly part. But part of why that caught my attention is because we hear it so commonly from women on the other side of abortion, where they talk about how fast this happens. So they're they're considering all their options and they're weighing these things out. And then as this, this process happens, it happens very quickly. And they talk about how before they knew it, they had swallowed the pill. And before they knew it, they were having the regret. And so the idea that they're trying to do this very fast is, is very concerning to me. Um, and I know that you know, throughout the United States, we have less and less of those brick and mortar abortion facilities where surgical abortions are happening, but we definitely have new abortion providers now with these pharmacies and we have new clinics, which are wherever the woman is, wherever the woman is, is that's where the abortion facility is now her bedroom and, or her bathroom, which, which is where these typically happen. So why do you, why do you think the FDA is really working to unravel these kind of safety nets? Uh for these drugs in particular? Well, you would you would think that there was more to it. You would think that um, the implication is sort of that, that obviously they have some studies. Obviously, they have some evidence that the safety concerns were not as dire as they first thought. I mean, if you didn't know more, if you hadn't read the studies, you would think, oh, they probably know more. They've learned more. Throughout the process, women are not being damaged. That's definitely not the case. Um, they quit tracking non-fatal adverse events, and they are, they're acting on very little data. Um, we just, by chance, we just talked to a nurse this week in North Carolina, Jarrell. It was Lisa Sear, one of our healthcare team managers, was talking to her, and she works in an ER in North Carolina. And she said not a shift passes that she does not have one of these patients in her ER where the woman has wow. started a chemical abortion. She's having extreme bleeding, hemorrhaging, where she needs a blood transfusion or she needs medical attention or she has infection. And so um, this is just one nurse in one hospital and one ER, and she's experiencing this every single day that she works. And then we've talked to Dr. Uh, Brent Bowles recently, and he is the APRN medical director, a strong advocate for life. And he works in a hospital in Florida. And he, um, he talks about in the last month, he's had five critically ill patients um, in his hospital who started chemical abortions, had no idea that they were going to be in this in this situation um, with these dire health concerns. And so it seems to me that the FDA is making these decisions based, like I said, in politics and profits and not about anything about public safety. Now you're, you're making these assertions as uh, these are anecdotes, what you basically just provided yeah. us. However, there is research and our friends at Charlotte Lozier Institute have uh, an, an app log of the American Association of Pro-Life OB Guides have actually gone through um, uh, uh, the <clears throat> the reports from that are available through Medicaid. And they've investigated this with government information that's available to, in theory, a government agency like the FDA. And they, they come to the conclusion by researching many years of, of this that I think, I think the percentage is that for those that have, have access 
chemical abortion that the rate of their appearance in ER room afterwards like increases by like 500% or more. Now that's evidence that would contradict what the FDA is doing. And so I, I take your point that, well, that this is probably more about politics and profit than it is about personal health and safety, uh, because otherwise the FDA would pay more attention to their own their own studies or, or studies of their own data that really suggest the exact opposite is true, that that um, that this idea of relaxing, uh, um, that by the way, all, all of that data comes from when it was under those uh, uh, guidelines, when it was under REMS and people were providing it. That's not a recent development, that's under the old rule. So if we thought 500% increase was bad, we, we likely will see this at even greater level when they're getting less care and attention by a healthcare professional. Is that, that would you agree? I would agree. And we know that for women who are, who take that, take the abortion pill, we know that five to 8% of them are going to present in an ER so that we are flooding our emergency departments with these patients um, with no concern for their symptoms. Um, and the women, when they're starting an abortion, um, I think it's hard, you know, you, you're given this promise of this privacy and this abortion in your own home, and it sounds very promising, but they are forced to really assess their own symptoms and decide when too much is too much. When do I go to the ER? What is infection? And for mo most women are not qualified to, to make those decisions, but they're being forced to decide when do I go? And these numbers, drill they don't reflect what abortion providers may, they may do the surgery in, uh, you know, themselves, and none of that is reported. So while we know that five to 8% of all women starting a chemical abortion um, need to go to the ER after they start their abortion. There are many more that are being treated that we don't even know about. Well, and not to mention the kind of misinformation campaign that abortion providers have been um, working on forever that tell, basically coaching the, those that they are providing abortion services to, if they have to present in the ER, then tell them they're having a miscarriage, you know, don't, don't admit to the abortion. And of course, uh, often using scare tactics, you know, you won't want to tell them this because you might be in trouble. You know, that, that seems very self-serving and it kind of pushes us back to uh, the idea that this really is more about politics and ideology and protecting profits than it is about uh, caring for these women in a fashion that is meant for their best interest. Um, of course, you know, I have to stop and say, look, chemical abortion is always dangerous, right? It always kills. It's intended to kill one of the people involved in the process. But the unfortunate reality is not only does it do that, it also has the has the effect of um, presenting real problems for women as well. Five to eight percent is a lot. Uh, and and th those are the ones that are that have made the decision to present in that in that fashion. So um, we know that mifepristone is uh, is it, it, even in that original FDA research, we know it is intended to produce bleeding. Right? That's how that's how it works. And so when so when someone's presenting in these in the ER with these kind of issues, it's difficult to really understand that the ER themselves is not being equipped with this information, and the FDA is doing nothing about that either. Um, so this is more about leaving women uh, to themselves uh, and to deal with it. So that that says then, w well, what are the physical and emotional dangers that really come about by this idea that look they they don't have to be really be seen or cared for by 
uh, someone that's watching out for their health, they just are going to get this information from their pharmacy that gets delivered immediately, right? The, that's the, the pharmacy in this sense is, is uh, unfortunately just serving as a path pass through uh, so that this chemical is delivered right to them. And of course, they're told to do this immediately. Um, how, how is that working? How, what are we seeing about the, the dangers that are, that are popping up now because of this type of chemical abortion DIY? Well, keep in mind, Gerald, that as these drugs are advertised, they're being compared to Tylenol, which is just so ludicrous to me. The idea that, um, of course, there's no similarity to Tylenol, except that it's an oral medication. Mifepristone is an oral medication. So it has a different mechanism of action, different safety profile. So, But you can see how they're trying to diminish the effects, um, the not just the health effects, but also the emotional effects for the women who are taking this drug. It's, it's nothing more than taking a Tylenol. So going into this decision, it helps diminish the, the fear, the like, this is not that bad. It was just like a Tylenol. And it is not. Um, we know um, for years we talked to women in centers about the risks of surgical abortion. And when I was working in centers, we would tell them, you know, one of the great risks is perforation, where you have a sharp instrument. It's a blind procedure. And I had two two of the women that I served in pregnancy help had full hysterectomies after perforation. Mm-hmm. So we know that surgical abortion is very very dangerous. But these drugs, even though it may seem like it's just a pill, are four to five times more dangerous than surgical abortion. So many people don't realize um, because it's advertised as just a pill, how dangerous these drugs really are. Um, and it's also, to me, it's shocking how many healthcare providers would advocate for abortion, knowing these studies are there, knowing that women are presenting in the emergency rooms by the thousands, and yet healthcare providers are stepping back um, because of politics and other reasons and saying, you know, I'm just going to let this happen. If this were happening in any other front, they would be stepping up and saying, this is damaging my patients. I need to step in in between this and stop this from happening. Um, there was... Between 2000 and 2001, so just a couple of years ago, the FDA documented a total of 4,207 adverse events, including 26 deaths, 1,045 hospitalizations, 603 events requiring blood transfusions, and 413 infections. So for so any- that, that, Those are for chemical abortion. Those are all for chemical that, abortion. So think about that. So 2020, only half of the abortions uh, in, in those years that you're describing were chemical abortions. Now we're moving to an environment where, uh, again, we, we we think that that it could be as high as seventy percent this year alone, and likely higher in the future as this as the FDA thing takes takes effect and accessibility is um, is is uh, more widespread. So so the percentage only increases. So it, it the numbers increases. that you're giving as far as twenty twenty, you're looking at. When, when you're talking about, okay, maybe that was for 400,000 women, now you're looking at potentially a million women every year. And of course, left to the abortion industry, that would even be higher, right? So you're talking about not just thousands, but maybe tens of thousands of women that will have this kind of effect. That certainly doesn't seem safe uh, for women. Certainly seems like uh, it, it just puts the lie to what the FDA is suggesting about these being um, so, so, this being so, a so-called safe procedure. Yes. And really, these are just what's reported also. So, so much of the reporting is voluntary. So these numbers seem shocking to me. And as a healthcare worker, like I I can't imagine advocating that for any patient, even if it didn't end the life of a child, which it does, just the effects on the women are devastating. And then a 
not much is brought to the attention as far as the emotional aspects of this. And so um, Support After Abortion did a study and they reported that one third of all women who have a chemical abortion, they specifically looked at chemical abortion. They reported, these women reported an adverse change in themselves, such as depression, anxiety, substance abuse, thoughts of suicide. And that's commonly what we hear on at APRN also at Abortion Pill Rescue Network. We hear about that darkness that happens, not just after the abortion, but even between the two pills. Immediately, there is a darkness and a depression and suicidal tendencies between those two pills. So the the effects on the physical effects and the emotional effects on women are tremendous. And yet the FDA has not stepped in to stop this from happening. Not only have they not stopped it, but they've loosened all of these safety nets, um, all of these things that they put in place from the beginning to protect the consumer. Well, as, as people of, of the word, you know, the Bible, we, we also know that uh, Satan is involved with uh, really aborting the purpose of God. Like that seems to be his mission statement and uh, he's about doing that. And and the in the things that I've heard from folks like our, our friend Rebecca Hagen and others others who reach the abortion pill rescue network and some of them actually do it right from the parking lot of the abortion provider when they had to go like when you know when when that was required uh they there was this moment where a, a moment ago it was this is the only path i have this is the only direction i know to take they swallowed that first pill and it and it's almost like that we see the scripture come to life in that moment where the, the their eyes were open you know the scales fall from their eyes and they immediately realize what they have done in in both a not just physical way but a spiritual way an emotional way and and they now begin to look and so those are the ones that we have the privilege to serve i know you and your team uh go to great lengths to do that 24 7 365 um and we we are there to answer those calls uh around the clock but you just that just that moment of that kind of spiritual awareness about oh I have done something terrible I, I was well, I was watching you send around um, a video of of a woman who told this her her story herself and how how she immediately regretted it she went to sleep woke up and said oh my goodness I have to do something about it and she that's when she reached out to even that next morning and so we were grateful to be able to serve her you know she's she was able to continue her pregnancy it was grateful for the pregnancy center that came around her with that kind of care so there. There is a there is not just in a physical emotional but also a spiritual dynamic that's that's at work uh whether the woman um is just really blinded to any other option um but also can be can really can really respond to the move of the holy spirit which i i think it's not only about marketing i mean we're trying to do as much marketing as we can uh despite some of the censorship issues that are going on but it really is about that moment and and how the spirit of god is at work uh kind of letting those scales fall from our eyes. And we're grateful to be able to serve them. And I, I'm th thankful for you and your team that do that so faithfully. So let's talk about the centers. You came, you know, you're in the pregnancy center world and and uh, as uh, in so many different ways, I know you've done ultrasound and you've uh, been counseling and you've done all those things. Uh, and so so here we are, You, you're, tell me what, what does this look like for centers now in 2023? Well, I see 2023 as a great opportunity for pregnancy help centers to offer hope. I think there's just a lot of need for that right now. Um, so like we talked about, the anxiety has been so greatly increased in the women um, who are trying to find a plan, who are trying to create a future for themselves. And um, that hope is just so needed. And we have this opportunity in pregnancy centers at the grassroots level to help these families in need of hope. And I 
I see centers as a soft place, a quiet place, an encouraging place um, to kind of sort out all of your options and to get that information and support to help solve problems rather than monopolize, monopolize on them. I always see the abortion industry as monopolizing on those problems. So they see that opportunity that the, the only solution is abortion. And I see pregnancy help really digging in and working with each family individually and saying, what are your needs? And let me help you long-term. Let me stand by you. Let me walk through this with you. So I see this as a great time of opportunity. The challenges are real in our country right now. Um, there isn't a lot of hope for some families. And I see um, just this great opportunity. And unlike the abortion industry, we don't have a horse in the race. It's the way I always word it, that we don't make any kind of financial profit off whatever decision they make. And there are very few people in their lives, typically, who don't have something to gain from whatever they're doing, whether it's a support person who's saying, you need to have this abortion, or it's the abortion industry saying, hey, come our way and we'll, we'll make this easier for you. We have no horse in the race. We are just there to help. And I've seen this with my own eyes. Time Time after time, thousands of women, that power of the information, the hope and real support can bring. So um, this is why this is what I think truly will make abortion unwanted and unthinkable. You know, we talk about often about uh, we want her to make an informed decision. And it feels like uh, the uh, both the the abortion industry and by extension as well, the FDA is is working in the opposite direction. They don't they don't want they don't want her to be informed about the issue. I mean, you know, comparing this to Tylenol and pretending it's as simple as that, uh, pretending that there aren't things that need to be evaluated uh, as the FDA seems to be uh, willing to do. Uh, these all these are all things that seem to help rush her towards that decision. And and that does feel very uh, profit-minded over, over practical healthcare concerns. But it also, um, it, it seems counterintuitive. You know, I, I, I kind of always always had the sense of, I don't want to be rushed into these kind of decisions. And, and yet that's exactly what things are aligning against her as she's facing that, that moment of finding out that she's pregnant, being rushed into that. So it, it's really the place of pregnancy centers to help her have that space. Like you said, that kind of safe place that she can step back where we can bring more information to her, uh, including the idea that, you know, pregnancy is temporary and abortion is forever. And so we want to, we want to have those moments to love her with the, as we we would say with the love approach, right? To listen to her, to open those options, to really explore vision and values, and then to extend and empower what other options are available to her. So Krista, grateful for your team. Uh, grateful for to have you uh, really at the helm, have your uh, experience both as a, a center person with so many years. And then uh, the fact that you're uh, not only just are a wonderful center person, but you're also a wonderful nurse. All nurses are wonderful uh, all the time. And so we always want to affirm that doctors, you know, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but nurses are always wonderful. Grateful for your work, uh, not just uh, being who you are and doing what you do, but leading the team that uh, is at Abortion Pill Rescue Network. And we're grateful to be a part of the Pregnancy Health movement, both here in the U.S. and abroad. I know we have a, I was looking at a map that uh, talks about abortion pill reversals happening all around the globe, right? We've, I think we've been contacted by more than 70 countries now. Uh, I, I I believe I, the map that I saw had about, what, 24% of, of the abortion pill uh uh, reversal opportunities that we're getting are outside of the U.S. So that needs to grow as well, because it's an issue not just facing us and our FDA, but it's really around the globe. So thank you, Krista. Thank you, Jarrell. 
Thanks, Krista and Jarrell. Uh, thanks to our listeners for joining us for this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast. Be sure to stay tuned to Heartbeat for more. If you're part of a pregnancy help organization, you can stay updated through our monthly ease newsletters, uh, where we'll keep you up to date on what's going on in the pregnancy help world. And of course, whether you're active in pro-life work or just listening because you're curious, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. You can rate us, share with a friend, and just stay connected to us. 